This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. I think so. I am really proud of what we have achieved because I know the difficulties and everything that we've been through. Uh, For me personally, it's been so tough the last six months for a lot of things that have happened in in our lives. But uh, I had only one mission when I came here and it was to, to make the players and the staff believe that we could do it. And we had to change that energy and that mentality. And just by seeing them in the dressing room all together, the way they enjoy now their profession and, and, in, and the time together is what it makes me more proud. And it's a consequence of, of that, that after we can achieve things that we can win titles together. Well, big games require big moments for big plays. And he's delivered that in the semi-final and he's done it again in the final. And that's why you ask about those players. Some of them were questioning that he could not do it in big games. There we go. It was a big, big part on delivering this trophy. So he's done it and we are so proud to have a player like him in our sport. On the Ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. Mikel Arteta singing the praises of uh, Saturday's FA Cup final match winner, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Yes, it's On the Ball with me, Ross, on a Monday evening. And along with me, we've got my very special guests, Craig Wilkie. Fresh back from a, a Redang holiday, I believe. I am. Last week on the beach, back to reality now. Yeah, you look a little bit red. <laughs> it works on radio. It works on radio. Uh, <laughs> hello to Des Corkill as well. Hi, Des. Always good to be back. Uh, football is just never-ending cycle. The Scottish League started at the weekend. Wasn't it great? Wasn't it great? Uh, Live here in Malaysia as well. I know. It, it's, it's coming soon. <laughs> Nicholas Anil, hello. Hi, Ross. How are you doing? Very good indeed. Hey, you can tweet the guys at BFM Radio. You can follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Um, much to talk about tonight. We have to start then with the FA Cup final, gents. Arsenal 2, Chelsea 1. The Blues started really, really well. Went ahead through Christian Pulisic, who was very impressive right until he had to go off injured, Craig Wilkie. He was. And as you say, Chelsea started by far the better side. Um, were well worth the lead that they, they got very early on. You know, a goal up after five minutes. What a perfect start. And actually, for the next 20 minutes or so, completely dominated the game. And I, I felt as though, had they scored again at that point, it would have been a long, long way back for Arsenal. But, of course, that's the thing in football, isn't it? If you, you one nil is never... It's not often enough. Uh, it didn't prove to be in this case. But... Chelsea, yeah, maybe they let it slip a bit. And I think Lampard, even in the interview afterwards, said that he felt as though his team got a bit complacent. Certainly when going into the second half, you know, maybe took the foot off the gas a little bit. And that's how they let Arsenal back into the game. And, of course, they took full advantage of that and immense credit to Arteta and so on. But, yeah, Chelsea will be a little bit disappointed, I think, overall with, with how they played. Yeah, well, a couple of injuries to Aspilicueta and, and to Christian Pulisic. But, but Des, you can almost point out to, to the point when Arsenal got the ascendancy. And it came right after the water break. Uh, no, I think it came a little before that. Uh, Arsenal changed the tactic. They started to put the ball into the channels behind the, the, the two Chelsea fullbacks. I'm not a recognised coach. And even I could see, oh, hey, that's interesting. The first one goes... Then the second one goes, then the third one goes, and Obayamang runs off into the channels, and suddenly the whole texture of the game changed. And if, if I can see that, how can Chelsea's three superlative centre-backs not see that? How can their much-vaunted coach not see that? 
because that changed the whole dimension of the game. Arsenal, instead of playing ticky-tacky, went long ball into the channels, very old school, and it changed the game on its head. Thereafter, Chelsea's prior ascendancy disintegrated and they didn't have any way to come back as a result. No, they, they didn't. And um, got to say nice things, Nicholas Arnil, about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Uh, the second goal was, was superb, the way he dinked it over with his left foot. Yeah. I mean, what else can you say about Aubameyang? You know, he's been single-handedly, I would say, carrying Arsenal in the last couple of games, you know, two goals in the semi-finals against City. And, and as Des mentioned, you know, the game plan was clear after the water break. It was to pump the ball over the top and let Aubameyang basically bear down on goal. We knew that Cesar Aspiculeta didn't have the pace to, to keep up with him, and that was the evidence. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the second goal, you know, I think the Chelsea defenders looked at him uh, to use his right leg and bend that towards the far corner, but he was just so clever, you know, just cutting it back, you know, leaving the, the defender for dead and then thinking it over the keeper with his weaker foot. And um, now Arsenal have to do everything to keep him because, you know, with, with him in the squad, they're just a totally different side. Yeah, yeah. Um, important that they keep Aubameyang. Uh, how impressed are you, Craig, with, with Arteta? I mean, first season, he's beaten Pep. Uh, he's beaten the champions, Liverpool. He's even beaten Man United. He's done a lot. Won a trophy as well. Yeah, he's looking like the real deal, isn't he? I think when he first took over, we were quite impressed by the way in which he steadied the ship. Things had not been great at Arsenal for a while. And obviously, Arsenal fans were... Excited, I think, when he arrived to begin with. They felt as though this was the dawn of a new era. And he definitely, you could see that straight away he was starting to get some of his ideas across on the training pitch and so on. Then they went through that slightly sticky spell. And it's really not that long ago that we were, you know, lightheartedly laughing at Arsenal fans a little bit again. You know, David Luiz was back to some of his old tricks and they looked a bit shaky at the back. Some of the old problems were recurring. But you've got to give so much credit to Arteta. He has absolute belief and confidence in what he's doing. He knows what he wants to do with that club. He knows how he wants his team to play. And in the last few weeks, albeit some of the games, you know, maybe against Liverpool or whatever, haven't meant as much to the opposition, but you can really start to see some of the confidence that he's instilling in those players. It looks like they're enjoying playing for them. And compared to, I don't know, certainly when the, the league restarted or even maybe a month ago, if you're an Arsenal fan, you're feeling a lot, lot better about next season than you were just a short while ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, came, uh, they came ninth, didn't they? <laughs> that's, not, that's, that's not a stellar coaching debut when you've got all those resources that you've got at Arsenal Football Club. My word, things have gone really well since they got rid of Arsene Wenger. It's gone upwards and upwards and upwards for Arsenal, hasn't it? <laughs> no, but Des, it's all about the style of football and, and how he's, he's got to get Deadwood out of Arsenal first. Hey, the style of football they defended for 90 minutes against Liverpool and Man City to get through and the turning point against, uh, uh, against Chelsea was, as Nicholas quite rightly said, pumping the ball over the top. This is not art that has been created by uh, Mikel Arteta. So let's not say this is, oh, this is the real deal. He has won a cup by playing long ball football <laughs> and solid defence. Okay. George Graham's Arsenal. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No. Except George Graham didn't have £150, £200 million pounds to actually spend on players. Yeah, okay. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Nicholas Arnold. I'm not going to get you to say anything about Arteta because I think Des has said it all. What about Frank Lampard and his mixture of, of youth and, and experience this season? What do, you, what do you say about Frank's first season as, as Chelsea boss? I think it's been exceptional. You know, uh, This defeat 
I know. I think Chelsea didn't really have much going for them in the final. Uh, apart from the good start, they lost so many key players. Um, and as Lampard correctly mentioned, you know, there's so many good takeaways uh, from this defeat that they can use for the coming season. I, th- I think when we all watched the first opening match against uh, United, uh, when they got trashed 4-0, we never thought the season would have panned out like this for Chelsea. But credit to Lampard, you know, he's worked such wonders uh, with, with the resources he's had. And not forgetting the transfer ban that they had, uh, which meant they couldn't sign any new players. He's blended in a lot of uh, English young players into the squad uh, to complement the experienced players as well. And a couple of key decisions, you know, dropping uh, Kepa when, when uh, results weren't going Chelsea's way, when he was not performing. Um, uh, Mason Mount has been a revelation as well. Uh, and bringing back Olivier Giroud into the squad uh, during the vital uh, phase of the season, which eventually ended up with him banging in crucial goals and ended up getting Chelsea into the Champions League. So all this is uh, absolutely key takeaways uh, that uh, Lampard can draw upon. And uh, not forgetting the fact that he's already reinforced his squad with a couple of fantastic signings in Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech and uh, possibly more to come. And I think we can only see greater things from Lampard and Chelsea moving on to, to next season. So let me just correct that Sarri <laughs> came third and won a trophy. Lampard came fourth, lost the final, and his team conceded 76 goals. And that's progress. And that's why we always have Des Corkill on the show. He just provides... He's representing the, the League Managers Association. Absolutely. He just provides the reality for us. Okay, listen, I, I can't believe I'm about to ask this question, but how was VAR in the FA Cup final? <laughs> Des, go for it. I tell you what, I've been arguing against this since way before it was introduced into the Premier League. I saw its very first trials in Australia. I thought it was a, uh, an abomination then. It continues to be an abomination. Uh, whether it gets him right or wrong, and by the way, I really hope Bournemouth put in a, a legal protest about going out of the Premier League because Aston Villa are in the Premier League because of a VAR mistake. And we were told, oh, It's too important to have mistakes like that happen. So VAR shouldn't be utilised. It got it right on the Martinez situation when it eventually uh, got there. Uh, It wasn't used because the laws say it can't be for the the second yellow card. But that's down to the referee's uh, discretion. But just get rid of this awful abomination. I know that won't happen, but there's been too many problems caused by something that is meant to cause no controversy whatsoever. Craig, how can VAR improve next season? Uh, next season is literally just a few weeks away now. But can it get better? I mean, it can't get any worse, can it? Well, I'm, I'm with Des that the real improvement would be to get rid of it altogether. <laughs> but he's, al- he's also right that it's clearly here to stay. And I guess we better li- live with that to some extent. The most important thing for me is that the authority of the referee on the park has to be restored. Absolutely. And that, that's what's lacking right now. And so I know that elsewhere in some other leagues, there is, there's more emphasis on the ref himself going over to the pitch side monitor, for instance, so that he's still the man making the decision. And too often we've seen you know, decisions being made from, from a remote location in the Premier League. And the referee is just sitting there watching like the rest of us, waiting to see what happens. And I just feel as though that undermines his authority in the game too far. So that's, that's one thing I think they need. I think that's something they're already talking about in terms of how they might reform it for next season. And I hope that's one thing that they do. Okay. Well, Mikel Arteta becomes the first person to both captain and manage Arsenal to victory in the FA Cup, which is quite something. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, big news of the week. Uh, Des mentioned Bournemouth. Um, Bournemouth and Eddie Howe have parted company by mutual consent. 
Uh, he's only 42. I, I was quite shocked that he was that young when, when I read. He started at Bournemouth when he was like 24 or something, which is quite amazing. Um, Des, is it a big loss? Um, or, or did he do all that he, he could have done at, at Bournemouth, Eddie Howe? Uh, both of the above. Uh, it was, it's a humongous loss. But you could almost see that he looked physically fatigued in the latter stages of the season because he's a... Uh, uh, if there is a man who has transformed the fortunes of a small, tiny club, I equate this to something like Rochdale making it all the way into the into the Premier League and surviving for several seasons. In fact, at one stage, getting as high as the the, the, the top uh, six, I think it was. What an incredible achievement! This is a this is a seaside town. It's a it's a tiny little place. There's no sporting heritage in there, and he has somehow managed to get them away from going out of business virtually yeah. to get them all the way to the top flight. It's just the most astonishing story. Uh, it, it's a great football story. And as Super League and Super Clubs become more in vogue, this kind of fantastic story for local communities has less and less chance to succeed. So, brilliant job. I do hope that Bournemouth do, though, continue to uh, carry on the traditions that he's done. He's tried to play football. He's played the right way. He hasn't whinged. He's, been, he's just been what an asset to football in England. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, Nick, they lost 22 of their 38 games. They finished 18th in the table. And, and if, you, if you look at the nitty gritty, um, they, they lost, uh, I mean, the new signings didn't really work out for them. Jordan Ibe cost £15 million from Liverpool. Dominic Solanke, also fleeced by Liverpool, £19 million. Uh, he scored, what, two, three league goals in 32 games? If you're, if you're Bournemouth, you can't afford to, to um, trouser this kind of expense, can you? Yeah, exactly. I think they've been punching above their weight for, for as soon as they came into the Premier League five seasons ago. Um, and they've had the players to do that for them. You know, David Brooks was excellent. Joshua King uh, was fantastic you know, in the past couple of seasons. And Eddie Howe, credit to him, has tried to beef the sport up with the addition of eBay and also Dominic Solanke. Uh, Dominic Solanke, for me, has been one of the biggest flops, you know. Uh, this was the chance for him to build his brand coming to Bournemouth, you know, after not really being a, a, a main figure in Liverpool. But he's, he's taken, what, 39 goals to find the net. And, and that's simply not good enough. And in addition to that, they've also had the situation with Callum Wilson and uh, the injury, the continued injury of uh, David Brooks. I think the only shining light for Bournemouth this season has been the, the uh, continued uh, stellar performance of uh, Nathan Ake, which eventually, you know, uh, garnered him a move to uh, Man City. But the rest of them, have not really stepped up, and this is ultimately uh, the downfall of Bournemouth. Yeah, well, uh, relegation, as Des pointed out, is no disgrace. Uh, it will not tarnish Eddie Howe's uh, reputation. Uh, and the thing is, he will never be trumped, will he, Des, as Bournemouth manager? Whoever goes in now? Uh, very unlikely. What an astonishing job. Uh, the Bournemouth stories is every bit as good as the Wimbledon story and the, the revised Wimbledon story. It's, uh, it's only the kind of thing that it, it, it's, it's a community uh, success that is, just shines so well. It's what sport is truly all about. It's not about the multi-multi-millionaires taking advantage. It's not about Mesut Ozil sitting on the bench on 350000 a week. 350000 will run 
most community clubs in the UK and around the world. And we've so got to cherish these institutions. You know what? I'd love Bournemouth to take the FA Premier League to court over that VAR decision. I really would, because if they were to win it, there would be justice. It, a, it's improved VAR to prove uh, to be what uh, an extraordinarily fallible um, uh, thing it is. And it'd give Bournemouth a chance to actually put one over the big boys once again. Yeah, well, okay. Um, uh, all right, then. We're, we're going to go for our first break. I believe Craig Wilkie's lost his connection. We're going to see if we can get him back. Uh, stay tuned. Back right after this. And once more, footballers of all racial backgrounds take a knee to express a united opinion that black lives matter. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Lovely football, speed of that little passenger play. Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, Des Corkill, Nicholas Arnil, and Craig Wilkie's around somewhere as well. Looking back at the weekend's action, now um, one more game, one more massive game actually, is to be played. And it's going to decide the uh, 20th member of the English Premier League for next season. Uh, Craig Marias actually called it right. He said it's, it's going to be the two South West London clubs battling it out. It is Brentford versus Fulham, the championship playoff final. Des Corkill, this is the kind of game when, when I was growing up in the UK, these, these were great fun to watch. You get the commentator going, and this game is worth £100 million. And, and it really is. It's going to be the most expensive London derby ever played, this one. Yeah, sadly, you're, you're right. It is all about the money. But there's a, also a great uh, opportunity for both Fulham and Brentford who have... Uh, well, Brentford have got a brand new stadium to move into if they uh, were to qualify. Fulham have revamped the, uh, the um, Thameside stand that they've got. So these teams are investing in their local areas. Uh, London football is vibrant at the moment. But the Brentford story is, is terrific yeah. because they've got a, a working model. It isn't money ball, but it's one that... It, it, it's a distinct way of playing based upon uh, statistics and based upon data. Thomas Frank has come in and uh, uh, been a part of this project. They, they might have good players, they sell them on. Oni Watkins was a right winger last, last year. This year, he's their leading scorer. They've got a system of play where it's not about the superstars, it's about the way that they play and everybody's got to buy into this. So I think um, from a... Uh, an interest point of view, just to see something different, I'd love to see Brentford just get over Fulham. We've seen Fulham before, we know what they'll bring, uh, but I'd love to see Brentford in the top flight. Yeah, um, well, it's going to be big. Uh, Fulham arguably have the momentum going into this because they did really well to get themselves into the playoffs. And Nicholas Arnold, the big news as far as Fulham's concerned is the Championship's top scorer, Mitrovic, is back. He missed both the uh, semis, both legs of the semis, but he's back and, and he's massive. Fulham need him. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was surprised they actually did well without uh, Mitrovic, you know, uh, Nistens Cabano, um, another striker, really stepped what up. What a great name, Nistens Cabano, yeah? Yeah, and I think he, he, it'll be good to see if both of them can play together because I don't know if uh, Mitrovic has the, the legs to carry on for 90 minutes. Uh, but... Fulham will be coming into these matches underdogs. I think the momentum is with Brentford uh, at this point. If you look at the, the race to promotion last year, this was the form that Aston Villa brought to the table. You know, they won like 10 matches in a row. Eventually ended up going through the playoffs and, um, and winning and, and entering the, the, championship, uh, the Premier League. 
and uh, Brentford are displaying that same type of form. You know, you have to look at that last two defeats. Uh, I think they have overcome that last two defeats in uh, in the league, and you know somehow got past Swansea. Uh, but Fulham will have to bring everything to the fore. They will have to depend uh, heavily on Mitrovic, who has been their focal point, uh, Niskan Skabalu as well. Uh, they will be going in as underdogs, but um, you know, just judging by the experience that Scott Parker has has uh, developed into this team. They do have a chance, but I still think they will be underdogs uh, facing this uh, high-riding uh, Brentford side. Yeah, um, they, they don't have a great record, Brentford, in, in finals and playoffs and, as, as such. Brentford versus Fulham then is a Wednesday, 2.45 a.m. kickoff. And I have been told it is live on Astro Supersport. So do check your listings. Uh, well worth a watch, that one. Well worth a watch. Serie A wrapped up uh, their season at the weekend. Champions Juventus suffered their first Serie A home defeat in 40 matches. They, they lost to Roma. But, but Sari has finally got his title, <laughs> Des Corkill. Uh, yeah, he was given billions to achieve it, wasn't he? But was it clever getting Sari and Ronaldo in for Juve? I think the real thing that Sari's been brought in is to win the Champions League because uh, Max Allegri, after so many near misses and close things wasn't able to give them that Champions League. So I think we've got to hold fire. Sadly, the Italian Serie A, even though it looks pretty close at the end of the season into Milan, just one point adrift of Juventus, sadly, it's, it, it's not as a competitive league as it really should be. And uh, so, sorry, winning the league is expected. That's nine in a row now in Italy. Oh, yeah. That, that, <laughs> that goes against... That goes against the any ethos of what real sports should be about, a team winning nine in a row. And so, um, sorry, I think we'll be judged on whether or not they're able to uh, get past Lille and then go through, sorry, Leon, and then go through to the latter stages and actually win the, the Champions League. So you've got to wait for judgment on, on sorry. But congratulations, Juventus, again. Uh, yeah. Well, Inter beat Atalanta to finish second. Antonio Conte's Inter, um, well, they, they did really well. I was reading this this weekend. Inter have prepared, uh, apparently prepared a, a mammoth contract for Le- to sign Leo Messi. It works out at something like uh, two, two or th- no, four million pounds a month. <laughs> He's going to trouser if he joins. So Conte was asked about it and he said, are you kidding? Messi, do you know how hard it took me to get Lukaku in? You're talking about Messi, which I thought was so funny. But um, yeah, his inter side finished second. Uh, Atalanta finished third. They scored 98 goals uh, in Serie A this season. Craig, you, you like Inter? You like Atalanta? Do, do you think uh, Juve's dominance is going to be challenged soon? I really hope so. I felt as though this season we might finally see a real title race in Italy. And I feel as though we, we almost got there. there. There was a period just after the restart where those teams at the top were pretty tightly bunched together. And it seemed like it would go the distance and finally there would be a real challenge to Juve's dominance. It didn't quite turn out like that. I know the final standings make it look very close, but that's really just the way Juventus have eased off a bit in the last couple of games. But certainly looking ahead to next season, I feel as though Conte has laid the foundations to take Inter on and genuinely challenge for the title. Um, I hesitate to praise a manager with, with Des here now because you're, <laughs> you'll probably, you'll probably tell, me, tell me what Conte's done wrong. But, I mean, to be honest, I wasn't convinced by a lot of the signings he made, Lukaku included. 
but he seems to have molded them together into a pretty coherent unit. He's got them playing not necessarily the most flamboyant or glamorous football in the world, but he's, he's got them playing pretty effectively and picking up results for the most part. So they'll definitely be, be feeling good going into the next season. And Atalanta have just been an absolute revelation. Yeah. You know, the, the way that they've played this season, both domestically and Italy, and also let's not forget that they're still in the Champions League yeah. and they'll be, they'll be facing PSG. And by the way, I don't think that's a very easy tie for PSG at all. Mm. given some of the attacking options that Atlanta have. They've got nothing really to lose. They'll just go out and enjoy that fixture. And who knows how far they might go, especially with the, the Champions League format that I know we'll talk about later, yeah. of how that's going to be concluded. So, yeah, pretty exciting times for them. Got to give Chiro Immobile a shout out because not only did he end up at Serie A top scorer, top scorer in, in the whole of Europe, he's equaled Higuain's record of 36 goals in 38 games. Des, that's phenomenal. He doesn't even yeah. come from a team that's, that's dominated or, or won the title. Precisely. Uh, and in many ways, it actually just illustrates the fact that you don't need star names to actually be successful. Let's look at Atalanta. They're, they're not filled with star names. They're filled with good players, with a great team ethic, who've, who've overachieved. Tiro uh, Immobile has been around. He's been an Italian international, but he's never been one of the, the superstars. But if you just look at the way he took his 36 goal in yeah. 38 games, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an instinctive striker's goal. It's a, a, a wonderful achievement. I'm so glad we're not talking about the, the big superstar names uh, for once and Immobile deserves such credit. Nearly a goal a game in Serie A, that's phenomenal. It's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal stats. We should also give kudos, Nicholas Anil, to the oldest player to score 10 goals in a Serie A season. I'm talking about 38-year-old Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, he's going to stay for next season as well, so he'll be 39. <laughs> Yeah, he pretty much saved the, the coach's job. I think when, when he came in, his Milan coach really uh, was on the ropes and Zlatan has just come in, not, not shown on, of confidence whatsoever. Um, he and he's just continued banging in the goals, you know. Uh, for, for a player like him, I know that he's performed, he's played in the, in the Serie A, but to go to the MLS, you know, and then to come back at, at this age, you know, in a team that is filled with a lot of younger players, you know, to exert that same sort of gameplay, that same sort of uh, leadership qualities is not easy, and but Zlatan has done it, and and he demands such a high standard for himself, uh, and and I guess it rubs off on the rest of the team as well, and and he's a shining example to continue at the age of 39. I do not doubt his abilities to continue finding the the net for his Milan. Yeah. So Serie A season ends then with Juventus top, Inter second, Atalanta third, Lazio fourth, Roma fifth, uh, Milan sixth. Napoli 7th, the three teams relegated, Lecce uh, tried at the end on, on, on the final day, but, but they didn't win and also Genoa got the point they needed. So Lecce, Brescia and Spal are relegated from Serie A. We're going for another short break. When we come back, we'll start looking forward to the, the midweek European action. We wondered if he'd make a difference. It beats him all ends up, doesn't it? Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. This is On the Ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Nicholas Arnil, Craig Wilkie, and Des Corkill here. As usual, you can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can also follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. We're welcoming. Uh, back Europa League and Champions League this week. Uh, first up, 
Europa League on Wednesday and Thursday. Man United, Nicholas Arnold, have a 5-0 lead against Linz of Austria. They did very well last time out. Uh, will Ole's boys have any trouble for you in this one? Will he play the kids? I would like to see him play the kids. I think uh, United have uh, a lot of players waiting in the wings uh, to come on. I would like to see more of Tati Chong. Um, he's been excellent uh, whenever he's been brought on. Um, and I would like to see him, uh, you know, try and extend uh, United's advantage, you know. Uh, but also for the experienced players, I think uh, Ole has not really given uh, a lot of opportunities to some of the fringe players like Odion Igalo. Every time he's come on, he's made an impact. He's always caught or he's just trying to bring in teammates, create chances. I would like to see him, you know, sort of uh, try and get a foothold in this game. And Sergio Romero, I think he should definitely be a main starter and he should uh, be playing all the way in the Europa League. Um, David De Gea should be given a rest, you know, um, re-energize himself, revitalize himself. And this is Romero's time to step up. Um, and I think uh, he would. He would go with several of these players together with some of the fringe players that he has waiting in the wings. There's Kalkil. <laughs> Does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer deserve any praise for this season? Yeah, uh, I, th- I think regular listeners will say that I've been constantly on his side because I think he's been trying to do things well. Uh, I think he's been trying to bring in younger players. I think he's trying to play a little bit more aggressively. He's been trying to get the best out of Paul Pogba, which is a manager's nightmare. The introduction of Fernandez seems to have helped. Uh, for this, uh, your, uh, to get them into third place in the league was not a major achievement for Manchester United, but from where they were to where they finished, yeah, big, big kudos to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, coming into this tournament, I reckon you're going to see the real plastic Man United fans. I bet there's no crowd there for the <laughs> second leg against LASK. <laughs> but, but yeah, they, they've done well. <laughs> whether, whether or not they're good enough to go all the way in this competition, because there's several very decent teams, yeah. maybe not on their side of the draw, but there's several decent teams left in this competition. This will be a, a next little test for Solskjaer, Solskjaer. There's a lot of doubts surrounding him. And he's a young coach. He's got Man United through and through. I'd like it because he's not a big name if he was able to bring United somewhere to where they used to be. Not at the top, of course, but somewhere where they're challenging. Okay. Well, if United progress, they are 5-0 up. They will face either Istanbul or Copenhagen in the quarterfinals. Now, the quarterfinals are all one-off ties to be held in Portugal. We'll talk about that first, though. The round of 16 second legs have to take place. And Craig Wilkie, Wolves and Olympiacos are nicely poised at the moment. It's 1-1. Pedro Neto getting a late equaliser in Greece could prove valuable. And Nuno, I mean, I kind of want them to go far, this one, Wolves. Yeah, I really want them to go far. They've had a fantastic season domestically. And they've done it. You know, Des was talking about you know doing it the right way, and I feel like Wolves have. You know, they've they've played a very very aggressive, a very expansive form of football. A lot of great attacking talent that they have in that side. As you mentioned, getting the late away goal makes a huge difference to this tie. If they'd come back on a on a one nil defeat, then you'd be looking at it and saying probably the Greeks would be able to hold out and they would fancy their chances going through. But in this scenario, I would make Wolves the favourites. And I think this just caps off a, a tremendous season that they've had. And they, they've almost, in the latter stages, have flown under the radar a little bit. I think it's easy to overlook just what a good season that they've had. The difficulty for them, of course, is going to be, can they keep that squad together come the summer and the transfer window mm-hmm. opening up? I know there's already been some speculation around some of their star names. 
So uh, a, a little run here to the latter stages of the Europa League might just help in persuading some of those, those players to stay at Wolves, and that would be a very good thing for the club. Brilliant. Uh, Wolves nicely poised. 1-1 against Olympiacos. It's a Friday 3 a.m. kickoff. Winners of that tie will take on either Roma or Sevilla in the quarterfinals. Des Corkill, Rangers of Scotland are one down. Sorry, they're not. They're 3-1 down against Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, the SPL got underway this weekend. Stevie G's Rangers did well, beating Aberdeen 1-0. But... Um, this one might be a bridge too far for them. Uh, chasing a 3-1 deficit, they don't look like they've got any strikers up front at the moment as well. Um, Scottish teams, even, even including Celtic, find it, uh, I think, a little bit difficult when they step up that level. And Leverkusen are not only one step, possibly two steps up. They're competitive in a very competitive German league. They've got some real quality players. You keep hearing about them possibly moving to, uh, to, to England for stupid amounts of money. Um, Leverkusen are just a good side. Rangers under any Steven Gerrard team will do their best to be competitive, unorganised and come back. But as you quite rightly say, I, I don't see. Ariba looks a, a nice player. Um, the, the, the dreadlocks are, are very spectacular to look as well. And um, who's, who's, who's the striker up, up front? Uh, the, the nutcase. He's, he's, he's not bad either. Morelos. He's, he's not bad either. But, right. but against top level opposition, and um, uh, Leverkusen are top level opposition, I think it's a, a bridge too far. Okay, well, they are 3 1 down. It's a Friday, 12.55 uh, a.m. kickoff at 1. Leverkusen against Rangers. They will take on either Inter or Getafe in the quarterfinals. Now, very interestingly, there are two ties in the Europa League that are just going to be single leg, one-off ties. Uh, one of them is Inter against Getafe. It's going to take place at the Schalke Arena in Gelsenkirchen in, in uh, Germany. And Nicholas Arnil, uh, you, do you fancy Inter in, in this one? Actually, I, I quite like Getafe in this I, for some reason. But yeah, I mean, Ashley Young and Inter, I was reading, they're all primed for this. They're looking forward to this. Yeah, they are. And they've been a transformed side uh, since um, uh, Conte took over. I think there were a lot of questions about, about Conte's leadership. We know he's a very volatile manager and how he likes things done uh, his way. Uh, but he's, he's somehow banded this band of players, you know, he's taken a unique set of players from the premiership and somehow made them work, you know, uh, against all odds. You know, you see Ashley Young in the, in the form of his life, you know, scored a wonderful goal at the weekend. He's got Victor Moses, you know, I think arguably his best player uh, transformed under him, even back in the Chelsea days, you know, and, and Lukaku, not forgetting Lukaku as well. Uh, what's uh, very interesting about this is... Uh, whether Conte will stay with Inter beyond this season because he's recently come on and he's hit out uh, at the Inter management for not protecting the team enough. And I think uh, if he were to go, he will definitely want to go with intent. And uh, by intent, meaning to go all the way in this uh, Europa League tie. And I think he's got the quality, he's got, he's got the experience in this side uh, to overcome a Getafe side who's only won once in 11 matches. So Inter definitely uh, going into this match as favourites and Conte uh, to prove his worth from, in more ways than one. Brilliant. Uh, Inter Getafe, Thursday, 3 a.m. kickoff from the Schalke Arena in Gelsenkirchen. Uh, the other one-off single-leg tie is Sevilla against Roma, Des Corkill. Um, Roma this, this season have been fun. We spoke briefly about them when we, when we talked about the Serie A. This, this game takes place in Duisburg. Who do you fancy here, Sevilla or, or Roma? 
Italian clubs always, but I think it's fair for me to pass this one on to Craig because I know Craig follows Roma fairly closely. And uh, even though they only came fifth in Serie A, Craig, uh, they're, they're a decent side. They're defensively strong and they've got one or two very good younger players coming through to make them uh, decent offensively as well. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Zaniolo, I think, is the, is the youngster playing on the wing at Roma and is, I think, maybe seen as the, the next big thing in Italian football overall, actually. Um, there's a lot of hope for him across Italy as a whole. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very intriguingly, well, not even poised. I mean, we'll see. How, back to the good old days of straight uh, knockout cup tie football, this one. So we get 90 minutes and we see who's the better team on the night. And I, I do fancy that Roma have enough quality in that side that can take them through this tie. And then once they get into that next round, you know, playing all those games over the course of a week in, in Portugal to, to determine the... How the final outcome of this tournament, again, they'll be feeling as though, in terms of salvaging a season, because it has been up and down domestically, their Serie A form. Mm. Um, they've, had, they've had some youngsters come into the team and it's taken a little bit of time for them to, to settle and, and try and gel. And they, they've gone through so many managers in the last four or five years, you know, so um, consistency has been a bit of a problem at the club. But this is a chance to try and get some, some silverware, which is always a big thing. I mean, we look at the effect on, on Arsenal potentially of winning the FA Cup. If you, can, if you can get some silverware in your hands at the end of the season, then you'll be feeling a lot better about how things will go next time. Brilliant. Uh, Sevilla versus Roma then, one-off tie. Friday, uh, 12.55 a.m. kickoff. The winner of that one takes on either Olympiacos or Wolves in the quarterfinals. The other ties we haven't mentioned, Shakhtar Donetsk is 2-1 up against Wolfsburg. Winners of that one will take on either Frankfurt or Basel in the quarterfinals. Copenhagen are one down against Istanbul. Winners of that one will take on Man United in the next round. And uh, that's about it for the Europa League. We're going for another very short break. When we come back then, Champions League chat. That's it. It's all over. This is a big win. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Two-goal lead, a picture for goal, and that should be job done. Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. And we are back, Nicholas Arnil, Craig Wilkie and Des Corkill, looking forward to European football. All the domestic season's done now. We know the FA Cup winner, well done Arsenal. Uh, Champions League returns in earnest this weekend. So Friday night, Saturday morning, and they don't come bigger than Man City against Real Madrid. Man City 2-1 up against Real Madrid. Uh, City hit back against the 10-men Real Madrid in the first leg. Gabriel Jesus and Kevin De Bruyne were on target for the visitors. Now, obviously, with Liverpool running away with the title this season, Des, uh, Pep Guardiola is going to see this as his most achievable and the one he really, really wants. Absolutely, but so will Zinedine Zidane. This is uh, one of the giants is going to fall. Real Madrid are very capable of turning on a superstar performance and winning uh, in Manchester. So, um, gosh. But, yeah, I tell you what, if, if Guardiola is to be perceived as a great, 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 great coach, he already has three of those greats, he's got to win the Champions League with, uh, with uh, another club like Man City. Because that would be a project that, a sense of, as expensively assembled, as he's seen from start right the way through to the end. This is his best chance. Yeah, but is the squad good enough? Is this Man City squad better than the Real Madrid squad for you, Nicolas Arnil? 
Um, I think the City squad is exceptional. A apart from their defensive, the center, the center belly um, of, their, of their defensive partnership, um, I think the rest, the rest of the squad is just absolutely uh, wonderful. You know, they've, got, they've got quality players in every uh, uh, position. But the, the focal point which Zinedine Zidane will be targeting is central defense. We've seen uh, uh, City suffer so many times because of the weakness in, in central defense. And this is what Guardiola will have to work on. Uh, he, he really did well uh, in the first leg when uh, you know, he didn't uh, absolutely play City's philosophy. He actually sat back. And I expect him to do so uh, in this leg as well. You know, Not go on the offense, even though City are playing at home. Because they have a lead to protect. It doesn't really matter if they, if they do not score. They will still progress. What's important is keeping that lead. And I think uh, that's what City will look to protect from the offset. And that's what Real will look to try and penetrate from the offset. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see how the City defense uh, line up against uh, Real Madrid attackers, who have been going great guns, you know, even though they didn't have uh, Eden Hazard firing on all cylinders throughout the season. You know, they still found uh, resources from every uh, uh, place in, in the park. So Man City, Real Madrid is a 3 a.m. kickoff. Now the winners of that tie will take on either Juventus or Lyon. Lyon hold a 1-0 advantage going uh, to Turin for this one. This is also a Saturday 3 a.m. kickoff. Um, Des mentioned, Craig, that uh, Sari has been brought in to win the Champions League. Uh, and you can, you can probably add Ronaldo into that as well, especially brought in for, for this, this title. Can they get close this season? Are, are they nicely poised for you? Well, so long as they can get through this tie, then they've got a chance, as I was saying earlier. I think the, the nature of the tournament now, how it's going to be concluded, it's, it really seems very open. And you look at some of those other clubs. I mean, Manchester City, Real Madrid, they've had inconsistent seasons. and None of them are looking absolutely dominant right now. So, again, any of those sides that get through to that next round, for me, will be, be feeling confident. Juve, of course, have got a job to do here. It's, it's no given whatsoever that they'll, they'll get through that. And you're right, though. It's after such a long period of domestic dominance, you know, nine titles in a row, really all the focus now has shifted to can they bring home the European Cup again? And that's what Sarri was brought in to do. More importantly, that's what Ronaldo was brought in to do. Um, he's still playing at an exceptional level. Yeah. Um, he, so he's, he's the man that they'll be looking to to make a difference. Um, and yeah, he's, it, again, he's, he's that one player who can, who can really make something happen at that level and he can turn a game. And so I expect that they will just have enough to get through this tie. And then after that, they've got a shot. Brilliant. So your two ties on Friday night, Saturday morning then. Man City against Real Madrid. Winners of that will take on Juventus or Lyon. Uh, both Saturday, 3 a.m. Uh, two games on Sunday. Des Corkill, Bayern Munich are 3-0 up against Chelsea. Now, the Germans, I know, really, really want this. Lewandowski is on another level as a number nine in, in, in all leagues this season. How good are this Bayern side? Um, can they win it? Well, firstly, this is more great work from Frank Lampard, of course. You can, uh, you can see the, why he's getting all the plaudits. Uh, he's certainly tightened up that back four, hasn't he? So 3-0 down from the first leg. And then by, by, uh, 
Bayern Munich are just a juggernaut. They yeah. are incredible. They've changed. They've changed the squad. They seem to be happy with um, uh, the, the newer players who've come in. They've got a lovely attack-minded way of playing. They respect the coach. Things are going well at Bayern Munich, which is very rare because there's normally some argument going on behind the scenes at Bayern and they still win. This is a very, very together Bayern Munich. I tell you what, there are three extraordinarily strong teams in the uh, in the latter stages: City, Juve, and Bayern. Bayern are probably the the, the best organised of them all. Uh, Lewandowski, hmm, yeah, everybody. You know what? I, this won't sound fair. Is he a flat track bully? Does he really <laughs> do it? Does he really do it on the massive, massive occasions? Mm. But, yeah, I know what you mean, because he's been dominating the Bundesliga, and, and wow, has he dominated the Bundesliga. But he, his goals do translate in Europe as well. So, maybe, maybe. Um, Bayern, well, most likely Bayern, unless Chelsea pull a miracle together, will take on then, in the quarterfinals, either Barcelona or Napoli. Uh, Nicolas Anil, um well, Barca's got to be favourites. They, they, it's 1-1 at the moment. Nicely poised as they go to the new Camp. Um, Messi, is he on his last legs now? Um, is this the final chapter in the Barca-Messi story for you, you reckon? If they do it? I don't think so. I think uh, Messi uh, probably had a, didn't have a stellar season compared to, to all the other seasons. But I think there's a lot of dim illusion uh, going on in the Barca management at this point. Uh, I don't think Setien has commanded uh, the, the influence that he would want over this team. There's a lot of uh, players that has not taken to him and uh, the results have translated onto the pitch as you can see how Barca just disintegrated towards the final stretch of uh, the La Liga. You know? And uh, they are facing an opponent uh, that has been excellent in the Champions League, you know? unbeaten in the group stage. You know, they've done really well, you know? played against Liverpool, I think they upset Liverpool as well. They even a uh, uh, cup champions. They beat UA to win uh, the Super Cup. You know, so uh, this is Setien's biggest game. And I think if he doesn't win this tie, he's gone, and so will a lot of other players. Because um, rumors are that uh, Messi is already spearheading uh, the calls uh, for Barca to find a new manager, and a lot of players would follow through the door uh, if they do not uh, make it through. So I think Barca on the verge of capitulation if they do not win this tie. Uh, and Napoli have a good, uh, got a great chance here to cause an upset um, and qualify for the uh, next round. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you're Napoli, Craig Wilkie, this is uh, hardly any pressure. All the pressure will be on, on Barca and, and Setien and, and, and Messi. And you can go, and Napoli are good enough to pull this off as well. You talk about pressure. I mean, Frank Lampard's thinking, I've just got to win the Champions League to get a compliment from Des. But, uh... <laughs> 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 and Abramovich has been ignoring him as well. It's not fair. Now Des is picking on him. Um, your, your, your point is very, very valid about Napoli. And, and equally what, what Nick was saying about Barca. I mean, actually, I think Messi's had a phenomenal season as, as he seems always to have. You know, he's, he's kept up his goal-scoring record. He's created plenty of assists. He's produced those moments of magic that, you know, we all, we all love to see. But those around him have you know, failed to live up to some of the hype that was expected of them. They haven't really supported them in the way that you would hope or expect. And so Napoli will definitely be looking at this tie and thinking that there's, there's a chance here. 
And because the way Barcelona faded towards the end of the season, you could see that Real Madrid were, were getting to them, even mentally. It felt as though they just didn't have some of the belief to go and win, win those games against even some lesser opposition in Spain. So I don't think Barcelona can or should take this game lightly at all. And let's not forget that you know, Napoli haven't had the greatest season in Serie A, but they've got some good players as well. Um, so they, they will definitely feel as though this is a chance for them. And again, I go back to my previous point. If they can turn this around and get through to the next round, absolutely no reason why they can't go further, semifinals, whatever it might be. So yeah, a couple, couple of very interesting ties, these one-off legs. Brilliant. So that's your Champions League for the weekend. Man City against Real Madrid, Saturday 3am. Juventus against Lyon. Lyon with a 1-0 lead there, also Saturday 3am. Bayern 3, Chelsea 0. They play Sunday 3am. And Barca-Napoli 1-1 at the moment also play Sunday 3am. We're going to be talking about this on, on radio on Monday. For now, let me say bye and thank you to the guys. Many thanks, Des Corkill. Always a pleasure. Remember, local football is making its comeback as well. The league restarts August the 22nd, round five from August the 26th. A couple of friendlies that you can't go to, but you can actually just keep an eye on. We'll be following it on the MFL website. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, many thanks to Craig Wilkie as well. Thank you, Ross. Always a pleasure. And thank you, Nicholas Arnil. Thank you, Ross. Have a great weekend, everyone. Yeah. Well, have a great week, uh, everybody. A ahead. week? <laughs> yeah. I'm still um, in the weekend mode. Let's yeah, look forward to it. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all this working from home stuff, isn't it? Hey, thanks for listening. Bye for now. Some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch On The Ball on BFM 89.9. It is now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.